Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. Today we begin a new series on Exodus, looking at the call of Moses, and the preacher is Chris Johnson. Uh, first reading is from Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, and chapter 3, verses 21 to chapter 4, verse 17, uh, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 57 and 58. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that saw that Moses ha- that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, "Here I am." Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, "I am the God of your father." the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. And I'm sending you to Egypt to bring people of the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Israel, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. We're on to page 58. And the chapter 3, 21 to chapter 4, verse 17. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold, for clothing which you, can, which will, which you will put on your sons and daughters, 
and so you will plunder Egypt. Sorry, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, "What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you?" Then the Lord said to him, "What is that in your hand?" "A staff," he replied. Lord said, "Throw it on the ground." Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, "Reach out your hand and take it by the tail." So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, "Put your hand inside your cloak." So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Now put it in your cloak," he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, "If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign." Then you may believe the second, but if they do not believe the two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water will t- you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, "Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither is the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue." The Lord said to him, "Who gave you? Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will give you speech and will teach you what to say." But Moses said, "Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else." And the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, "What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him, and put in his mouth, and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak with, the, and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you." And it will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. But take his staff in your hand, so that you can perform the signs with it. Our second reading from the New Testament is Hebrews chapter eleven, and verses twenty-three to twenty-nine. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. Peter God. We all love a great escape story, don't we? I don't know if you picked up the news this week of those children in Pakistan who were stranded in that gondola uh, and it hung there very precariously over this great ravine and um, it looked like it could drop at any time. But then to see the pictures of them actually being rescued and being uh, restored to their families and of the whole community rejoicing. We love a good escape story, don't we? And today we come to one of the great escape stories, the story of the Exodus. And over these next five weeks, we'll be looking into the book of Exodus and the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. This is the great saving event of the Old Covenant. This is the event that the whole of the Old Testament keeps looking back to. This is very early on in the history of the nation, Uh, and in fact becomes the defining event of the nation. This is what will give them their central identity. The nation actually began back with the calling of Abraham. We We all know Abraham was the father of Israel, don't we? And then the rest of the patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But for those families, they were just a loose collection of families wandering around Canaan with a lot of other families. It was hardly a nation. God promised Abraham when he called him back in Genesis 12 and verse 2, God gave him this promise, I will make you a great nation. What we're reading here in the Exodus is the fulfillment of that promise, I will make you a great nation. This is what will form them to be uh, what we would normally think of as a nation with laws and with community and with uh, structures. Uh, It all begins here in the Exodus. And this morning's story, the call of Moses. This is the story of the burning bush. It's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. This is the story of God speaking to Moses, warning him he is on holy ground. Do not come close. Did you notice in our little cartoon that the sandals got pushed to the side at the bottom there? Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And this is the story of Moses, fearful before this awesome epiphany. And so the story's full of supernatural drama and yet very down-to-earth human doubt and insecurity. God has one job for Moses. Set my people free. Your mission, Moses, should you choose to accept it, is to set my people free. But this is mission impossible for Moses. That's the way he looks at it. I mean, it should have been a walk in the park with God on his side, shouldn't it? And yet we meet a Moses who is very frail, unbelieving and scared. Not unlike us a lot of the time. Moses does everything he can to get out of his assignment. But God won't let him go. God wrestles with him. With each objection, God just wrestles with him until he has no other option but to give in and accept his assignment. This morning I want to look at four excuses that Moses uses to try and sidestep his assignment. And so the first one is uh, from chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. 
Moses simply says to God, who am I, little old me, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is overwhelmed by this enormous responsibility. After all, he's going to destroy the foundation of the Egyptian economy. What are they going to do if they don't have slaves to do all that work? The economy will collapse. No wonder Pharaoh fought so hard to keep them. Egypt was one of the superpowers of the day and Pharaoh a very powerful leader. He was treated with great reverence as if a deity. He wasn't going to tolerate any rivals or a person claiming to be a messenger from a rival god. Moses had every right to be afraid to front up to Pharaoh. And so God is very gracious to him and he takes his excuse and he gives him a promise. In verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you. And he offers him a sign. It's not an immediate sign. It's a sign which will help him in the future. He goes on to say, uh, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. And indeed, Moses will worship on the same mountain uh, when he receives the Ten Commandments. And uh, the second time he gets to the mountain and he does the Ten Commandments, it's a much more confident Moses by then, isn't it? And no doubt he's remembered this promise. I will be with you. And so in all the drama between chapters 3, the calling at the burning bush, to chapter 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments, God has actually experienced God is with him. I will be with you. And uh, as he's stepped out in faith each step, and proved that promise to be true, he grows in confidence. And my friends, that should be uh, the witness of our Christian lives as well. But for now, we're still in chapter 3, for now Moses is full of fear and trembling, and the excuses continue. Uh, And so his second excuse, uh, verses 13 and 14, he says, I don't have any knowledge of your name, God. What if the people say to me, what's the name of this God? Uh, what am I going to tell them? They'll want to know uh, by whose authority I'm speaking. Is this genuine? Am I, am I the real thing or am I just a kook? What is your name, God? Uh, at the burning bush, God identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But here Moses is wanting something more specific, not just a general God of our fathers, but what is your name, God? And the answer Moses gets is quite profound. I am who I am. This is the Hebrew verb to be. God simply is. This clearly relates to his self-existence and that he always has existed, always will. He simply is. Alec Mocha uh, puts it this way. He says, the Hebrew verb leans strongly in the direction of active presence. In every place, at every point of time, in every circumstance or need, he is. And so he is the verb to be, but it's an active presence. Can you see how this reinforces the promise that he's just given to Moses? I will be with you. The name of God, that great I am, is the promise of his active presence with Moses. He'll take that name into every circumstance of his life and all the challenges ahead. 
Alexander McLaren makes, uh, I think, this interesting comment. He says, you and I have to say, I am that which I, sorry, I am that which I have become, or I am that which I was born, or I am that which circumstances have made me. God simply says, I am that I am. All other being is derived and therefore limited and changeful. God's being is underived, absolute, self-dependent, and therefore unalterably forevermore. And I think the burning bush is a wonderful illustration of God's being because, you see, here God is like this non-consuming fire that can burn forever. And fire is often used to represent God in the scriptures, but it's not like it consumes. Uh, It can just keep going forever. He is eternally present, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He simply is. So when the people ask Moses, who is this God you're talking on behalf of? When the people grumble, when the going gets tough, when it looks like the promises will fail, the people have to hang on to the name of God, I am who I am, and that God is actively present with his people no matter uh, what challenge they're facing. Now that should bring great comfort to Moses, shouldn't it? Think he's ready to go now? (laughs) Not quite. No, there's another excuse, his third excuse in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, look, the people will still not believe me. They still won't believe. Uh, And God is ever so gracious. Uh, He now gives Moses these three outward signs which will show unmistakably God's supernatural power is there with Moses. And so those uh, signs are the throwing of the staff on the ground, becomes a snake, and he picks it up again, and it's a staff. Putting his hand inside his cloak becomes leprous, but then he puts it in again and it becomes clean. And taking some water from the river Nile, pouring it on the ground, and it turns to blood. Wouldn't it be nice to have supernatural signs like that to get people's attention before you talk to them about God? Do you think think they might take a little bit more notice uh, if you had those signs? You think Moses might be raring to go, look, I've got these signs, now I can do it. But no, no, his enthusiasm is still not there. Uh, Just remember, Moses' assignment is much bigger than what you and I have to handle. And perhaps that's why he got these very special signs, uh, which we don't have today. Uh, his assignment was so much bigger. And so God did, and, and at the major intersection points of God with his world, when he's bringing a new big saving event, we do see uh, the proliferation of miracles. And that's what's happening here with Moses. God's giving special signs. However, it's still not enough for Moses. And so he comes up with another excuse. And the fourth and final excuse, verses uh, 10 and 12, 10 to 12, Moses says that he is unable to speak eloquently. I'm just not a good speaker, he says. This is the last excuse, and I guess the one that perhaps most Christians uh, relate to best. When it comes to witness, we think we're not eloquent enough. It may be simply that we don't talk easily to others or it may be we don't think we understand the message well enough to be able to get it across. Well, God's answer to Moses is uh, there in verse 12, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God will speak through Moses and it's what God says that will matter. I'm reminded of Jesus' promise to the 12 apostles in their witness. 
in Matthew 10, Jesus says this. We got this up on a slide. There we go, Matthew 10, 19 and 20, where Jesus says to the apostles, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And that's the gift, that's the promise to the apostles. It's a promise to us as people of the new covenant. God will speak through us. So Moses has given these four excuses and God's not given in to any of them. Uh, and so all out of excuses, Moses simply says, not me, Lord, send someone else. He does it a little more politely than that in uh, verse 13. He says, uh, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Uh, but my friends, it's possible to be very polite, but still have a stubborn, unbelieving heart that locks God out. And uh, it sounds very polite, but it is actually now a very hard heart. Uh, it seems that God can cope with the four excuses, and he very graciously meets Moses in his frailty and his fear, and he offers him grace. But the excuses have now run out, and Moses' hard heart is exposed. And God calls it out. Verse 14, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. My friends, there is an honest questioning, but there is also a hard heart. And we must make sure we never uh, bring a hard heart uh, before God. Uh, we can ask our honest questions, but not a hard heart. So what are the practical conclusions for us here at the call of Moses? Well, for us as Christians in the new covenant, the call of God is to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. Moses had a burning bush. We've got Jesus. And Jesus went up to those first disciples and he simply said, follow me. And they left everything and followed. And Jesus has been doing that, uh, the same thing for countless millions of people over 21 centuries uh, by his Holy Spirit tapping people on the shoulder and saying, follow me. Have you felt the tap on your shoulder? to follow Jesus have you heard his call not through a burning bush but through the words of Jesus in the scripture follow me and are you following maybe uh, the message God has for you this morning is simply that call to drop everything and follow Jesus uh, and you're here inquiring this morning and uh, when you hear the call to Moses you're hearing the call that's coming from Jesus uh, to make him Lord of your life. I want to offer a little prayer now. And just if there is someone here, this is your situation, uh, to take that step of faith, to hear the call of God and to put your faith in him. So let's bow our heads and uh, I'll offer this prayer. And if it's what's in your heart, you might pray it as well. So dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. I'm sorry for resisting you and your call upon my life. Please save me from my sins and raise me to a new life in you. I now turn from going my own way and I turn to living for you. Please come into my life and be my Lord and my Saviour. Amen. And if that, you're at a point in your life that that's meaningful, uh, please talk to me or Linda afterwards. We'd love to share more with you. But for those of you whom 
Jesus is your love and your life and you've been following him for many years, what's God saying to us in this, this uh, uh, passage? Well, in the Christian life, my experience has been that most Christians do not arrogantly aspire to too much. Rather, most Christians sheepishly settle for too little. We're very quick to trot out the excuses, and maybe some of yours have been exactly the same ones Moses used. Uh, maybe yours have been, here am I, Lord, send someone else. And so we can easily be onlookers to God's mission instead, and spectators rather than participants. And maybe God is calling you today to get out of the grandstand and onto the field and into the rough and tumble of the game. We have a great vision here in um, Noosa Anglican. It's living to love and proclaim Jesus. Uh, it's all set out in this document, Vision 26. And I want to uh, encourage you again to take hold of this document. Uh, there's many out there on the welcome desk. Uh, take one this morning. If you haven't read it for a while, it's online. You can look it up there uh, and pray through it. Pray. Uh, where are you asking me, Lord, to join in the mission? Uh, and to hear your call in a very specific way. Uh, read it and get excited again about the vision we have as a church. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I to be your servant, to do this job? Moses said, look, I'm just a simple shepherd looking after sheep here in Midian. I'm 80 years old. I can't go to Pharaoh. I don't have the gifts. I can't do it. But you know what the truth is? It's when we don't believe we have the strength or we have the gifts that that's when God uses us best. It's only then that we actually experience his grace and his power to be able to do what he is calling us to do. When the Israelites eventually get to the Red Sea and they've got the sea of water uh, in front of them and Pharaoh's army coming up behind, what does God say to them? Well, in Verses 13 and chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, God says this. He says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And my friends, this is when God does his best work in us, when we are humble and still, when we don't feel we can do it in our own strength. We look only to him. And his grace provides and he does far more than what we could have done uh, if we thought we were that competent. My friends, we have to walk by faith, uh, answering the call to follow Jesus. And if you um, would like to take a new step of hearing the call of God, of responding and uh, getting more involved in uh, the vision that we've set ourselves, um, please come and talk to me and Linda later. We'd love to help you find a place and to know the excitement of God's call in your life. Amen. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website, anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.